This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favale and Andy Bailey, and today's topic is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Young team, lot of upside. I mean, we're looking at a roster that has Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, Tyus Jones, Ricky Rubio. I mean, we can we can just list the young guys on this roster for an hour, uh, and that's even after they waived Anthony Bennett this offseason. But we're not sure if it's going to turn into many more wins than they had last season quite yet. You know, they, were in the, they were in the very bottom of the Western Conference standings. It was uh, a very clear-cut rebuild going for that number one pick in the draft. And they could be in a similar situation this year as they just try and figure out what exactly they have, what exactly their style of play is going to be. So I just want to start off asking, are they going to rise out of that cellar? And if so, the iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. So how high are they going to go or is it too early to even go down that route? I would say too early. I, I think they have a lot of intriguing young pieces, like you said, but I think they're still a couple years away from, you know, I think maybe they could rise to 14th, 13th maybe, but there's so many good teams in the West, it's tough to expect them to do anything more than that. Yeah, I'm totally with Bailey on that one. You look at their roster, and it really is awesome to think about what it could be in like three years, maybe even two years, but there's just still so much you need to hammer out. One of the bigger things is going to be, can they bench these veterans in favor of these young guys, or are they going to be 
you know, is Sam Mitchell going to be tempted to play a guy like Kevin Martin or someone like Nikola Pekovic and take minutes away from Carl Anthony Towns or Shabazz Muhammad or Zach Levine and those guys? That's a really big concern for me because I want to see them be full bore into this youth movement. I get why Kevin Garnett is there, but guys like Andre Miller and Tayshaun Prince, they really shouldn't be playing ever. If you want to use them as just voices in the locker room, that's fine. But I look at this team, and I really just want to see them invest and double down on Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. Let them be your primary options right off the bat. See if Rubio can complement either of them. I know there's been trade rumors for that this offseason. And as I ramble, I'm just realizing there are just so many odds and ends to tie up on this team. They're simultaneously promising and almost too complicated. It's going to take a few years for them to really improve to the point where we can talk about what are they actually going to be in the next few years. Now, I'm kind of spoiled as someone who's followed the Jazz closely over the last couple of years. Uh, they were a team that truly did go all in on the rebuild once they got rid of Tyrone Corbin. They, they flushed out all those veteran pieces and they went all in with the young guys. And we've talked about a couple teams now that are kind of stuck between doing that and hanging on to some veterans. And the Lakers are the first team that, that comes to mind when I think of that. And I think the Timberwolves are in kind of the same place. We, we brought up right before we started recording the fact that they signed Tayshaun Prince and Andre Miller this summer. And it's really hard to think of you know any reason why. Maybe, maybe you, you frame it as you know, good veteran mentors that teach these guys how to be solid professional, solid NBA players. But uh, from a basketball standpoint, it just, I think you're kind of pulling yourself between two different worlds when you do that. I don't even think you need to frame it as such. I mean, that was the point of the signings. They didn't really need the contributions of like Andre Miller when you already have Rubio and Tyus Jones, who you just drafted. Um, it, it makes it even more bizarre to me because you have Kevin Garnett, you have Miller, and you have Prince. And that's three guys essentially filling a pretty similar role in the locker room. And then doubling down on that by, by cutting ties with Anthony Bennett when you could have kept him instead of Prince. I don't, I don't get that at all. Maybe, maybe they were tired of Bennett, but he still has way more upside than someone like Prince does. I'm fall on the other side of the camp just because I would rather at this point after having watched Anthony Bennett albeit he hasn't played much I don't think he has a future in the NBA at least not a very bright one and if you're really bent on ensuring that these young guys in Minnesota can grow uh, specifically emotionally in the right vein I'm okay if you want to use Prince and Miller as those extra veteran mentors provided you're not actually going to play them but I, I do sort of agree with what both of you are saying, where they are pulling themselves between two different worlds, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I get why Nikola Petkovic is there, because you can't get rid of him. I get that Kevin Martin is still under contract and was part of that vision of becoming a playoff team with Kevin Love. But I need to see how they're going to balance these minutes. And I think it's tough when you have guys who are veterans who can still perform to really just sit them on the bench. Andre Miller is an understated Iron Man. Kevin Garnett is still going to get minutes because he's Kevin Garnett. Nikola Pekovic is just an intriguing offensive option when he's healthy. I really want to see if they're going to be able to make those tough decisions to be like, hey, we need these young guys to develop. Because like Bailey said in Utah, when they really went into that youth movement that they're still in, they haven't had to deal with, hey, we're going to play you over this veteran and things like that. And the Timberwolves have put themselves in this situation themselves. So I'm just really interested to see how – they respond to it. Yeah, and I, 
like I said, I wouldn't put myself in that situation. I You said that they have veteran players that can still perform on the court, but I don't know if they perform to the level that makes the development of the young guys expendable. I think guys like Wiggins, and, and I don't, you might not mean that too, but they, they have to, they, that's the situation they put themselves in. You want guys like Wiggins and Towns and Levine and, and even Rubio to have as much time on the floor together as they can so they can you know, learn each other's tendencies, gain some continuity, gain some chemistry. And any time that you spend with these veteran heavy lineups is just kind of a waste of time because you're not going to push for a playoff spot this season with those guys. You're basically just consigning yourself to NBA purgatory. Yeah, I, no, I absolutely agree with what you guys are saying. I, I think it's also worth looking at it from the flip side and, and just marveling at the, the remarkable job this franchise has done adding so much young talent to the coffers because it is ridiculous. And most teams aren't going to have this much trouble because they don't have seven or eight guys with as much potential. That's and true. so that's kind of the, the, the glass half full approach to this is that they have so many people that this is actually a problem. There aren't many other franchises that could have backed themselves into this kind of weird corner. I would say that's a good way to look at it. Go ahead, Dan. It's, it's also even better because I love the Boston Celtics, but if you look at their situation, they don't have a clear-cut alpha dog. You can look at Minnesota's roster and be like, hey, we know Ricky Rubio, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins. Those, those are the guys, and that, that's huge in itself because it gives them these other options, but you know who your most important options are. At least they should in theory. No, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do want to ask, is Ricky Rubio one of those guys? There's been a lot of rumors about him this summer, whether or not those are true, that we we can discuss that or not. Um, But I think there is a question of whether or not he's the best fit. I think it's a little bit too early to tell just because we're not quite sure what everybody else on the roster is going to become. And if Wiggins does develop a three-point shot, if Towns really is capable of spacing out the floor as well as we think he's going to be based on these videos we've seen of him practicing, then Rubio's biggest weakness, which is obviously his jumper, isn't as much of a detriment to this team. But if those guys continue on on the trajectory we saw during their rookie season, and I'm specifically referring to Wiggins here, who is so much better as a slasher, then maybe he's not the best fit. So I think that evaluating him is going to be just as important as seeing what you have in all the first and second year players because he is such a niche guy who's better on the right on the right team and in the right system. The Timberwolves look like on paper that they could be a team that Rubio fits really well with because a lot of their guys can play off the ball. And I think Wiggins, in sort of limited experience with Rubio last year, even showed that. We were all kind of surprised at how good Wiggins was from deep last season compared to what we thought we were, he was going to be. And I distinctly remember, and I'm looking at it now, Wiggins shot 42.8% from the floor when Rubio, when Rubio wasn't in the game. When Rubio was in the game, he shot 47.5%. And that's a big difference. The upshot there is his three-point percentage actually dropped, but I think it's promising that he's already shown he can sort of play alongside another ball-dominant guy like Rubio. And when you factor in someone like Towns or you factor in Muhammad, those are guys who can play off these other two, and that should, that should be huge. I don't think you can come out and say, hey, Rubio is absolutely the point guard of the future just because I don't even know if he ranks in the top half of his position right now. He's probably close, but not 
right there. But I think it's worth giving a look. And I think just based off what we saw in that small sample size between Rubio and, and Wiggins last season, there's reason to believe that they, along with everybody else, can coexist together. Dan, my immediate follow-up question there is is just how much noise is there in that data? Because I, I believe that Rubio was out for much of the first half of the season when Wiggins was playing. And because that overlap happened when Wiggins had already figured out that he needed to become more of a slasher and attack the basket more during the second half of the season, is that a byproduct of his improvement happening to coincide with Rubio being on the court, or is it an impact from Rubio? It could be a little bit of both. I mean, the sample size is definitely limited, but it was still almost 600 minutes. And I think the bigger thing is if Wiggins is going to show that he can adjust and improve to the talent around him, that just sort of proves the point a little bit more. You know, maybe it's not Rubio who's adjusting. Maybe it's the other guys. But Wiggins is more versatile than Rubio. And if you're expecting Rubio to ever become a jump shooter, uh, you're sort of yelling at clouds at this point. We've seen the hype with Rondo and his quote-unquote improving jump shot <laughs> that hasn't really ever improved over the last decade or so. So I, I don't think Rubio is ever going to get there. Maybe it gets better. Maybe it doesn't. I, I think it really comes down to the guys around him. And if someone like Wiggins can adjust and adapt and even in a small sample size almost thrive next to him, I think that's a really big relief because, again, the rest of the town on this roster seems like it can complement Rubio really, really well. And just to answer my own question, I would, I would say give it some time too. I'm, I'm one of, I don't know, maybe one of the only people left who really has a strong belief in a good pass-first point guard. Um, as a big guy in my playing days, I loved playing with a guard who would actually give me the ball. Man, weren't you just talking about how you don't like positional definitions? I know. Well, come on. Maybe I'll just say pass, like somebody who facilitates the offense from a pass first. Oh, so you mean like Trey Burke six months from now? <laughs> Hopefully. But my point is, I like somebody you know who's very team first as the person who's who's running your team. And I think if you surround Rubio with enough shooting, like you guys have already said, if Wiggins and Towns are good shooters and maybe you get a good shooter at the two, if Levine develops into a, a reliable shooter at the two after Martin's gone, it wasn't that long ago that the Celtics surrounded Rondo with Pierce, Allen, and Garnett, who were all good shooters. The game was a little bit different back then, but it wasn't that different. And that's one of the reasons Rondo was so successful in Boston is because his lack of shooting wasn't a big deal when he had teammates like Pierce, Allen, and Garnett shooting all around him. I'm realizing that I kind of hedged my bets when I was originally answering your question, and I kind of want to come down on one side of the fence here, and that's that I don't actually think that Rubio is going to be the future here. And it's simply because looking at the roster, I'm seeing so many guys who are capable of, of functioning at their best with the ball in their hands. And when, when you're playing with Rubio you don't really have the ability to do that because he has to control it at all times. And I think that eventually Wiggins is going to be one of those guys who can slash while he's dribbling. Carl Anthony Towns, you're going to want the ball in his hands a lot. And even some backups like Nemanja Bielica, I think it's pronounced. Uh, he's one of those versatile point forwards who you're going to want him to handle as well. There are so many different guys, and you can even throw Shabazz Muhammad in there because he's so good out of the post. There, there are so many different ways that you can construct this roster and go about scoring that I don't know that you really want that ball dominant point guard here. I agree that you don't know, but again, I think it's worth finding out because all the talent that you just named 
most of them are able to play off the ball. And yeah, they may be more comfortable right now on the ball, or maybe they're just able to succeed on the ball. But hey, that's true of Kevin Love in Cleveland and Kyrie Irving in Cleveland, and they're playing off the ball more to LeBron James. Ricky Rubio is in the same class as LeBron James, but it's definitely worth a look to see if, as Andy said, maybe they can establish that kind of Boston dynamic there. It helps that their center of the future in Carl Anthony Towns really looks like a guy that can be that modern day five where he blocks shots and drains threes off the catch. You even have Gorgie Diang right now who's better as that pick and roll dive guy. He doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands. There's enough evidence here to at least suggest that Rubio has a chance and a very strong one to I be won't, that. I won't argue that. I totally agree. I just think it can go both ways right now. And I would actually, just to maybe put a ribbon on this uh, discussion or a bow on this discussion, I, I'm not sure Rubio eliminates the chance for Wiggins or Towns to be good slashers or to be good on the ball. If, if you think about if if Wiggins develops into a very reliable three-point shooter, if he's catching off a drive and dish from Rubio and, and a defender has to close out hard on him because he's a respectable three-point shooter, that just makes driving that much easier for him. If he's got a guy closing out hard and he gives him a good pump fake, it's a lot easier to do one or two dribbles and just go right around. And then, you know, he has plenty of options after that. This is just sort of building on a topic that I guess we're just going to move off of now. What is going to be this team's identity? Is it Are they going to try and be a defensive-oriented team? Or are they going to try and be an offensive-oriented team? You're, we're not going to know right away, and it might take them an entire season or more to figure it out. But what do you think they're going to trend toward? Because this jigsaw puzzle that they have, it's sort of like Adam said before with Rubio, it could kind of go either way when you look at who's on the roster. Yeah, right now, I'm not sure we have a definitive answer to that because so much does depend on whether they do have their franchise point guard in place right now. But it's it's really hard to say just because they were so bad on both ends of the ball last year. They finished last in, in defensive rating and, 20, and 25th in offensive rating. And looking at the pieces on the roster, it almost seems like they're going to be a better defensive team this year just because you do have the addition of Towns who can protect the paint, and Wiggins does profile as, a, as an above-average stopper on the wings. Not to mention Garnett holding them at gunpoint in practice if they don't defend. Exactly, and even, and even having Rubio for a full season uh, helps because he is a tremendously underrated defender. Uh, so I think that that's where their identity is going to be this year. I'm not sure it's a good one because I doubt they're even going to be a top-half defensive team. But... So much is going to depend on on what style they're going to play, which is only going to be determined when we know what's the deal with Rubio. I would say my initial answer was going to be defense as well, at least in the short term, because that projected starting lineup of Rubio, Martin, Wiggins, Garnett, and Towns, you figure that's at least four plus defenders and in some cases maybe really good defenders. And one huge minus yeah, Kevin Martin is a is going to be a problem. You hope that you get enough perimeter defense from Rubio and Wiggins to kind of cover for him, and maybe if he gets blown by, Garnett and Towns can can protect the paint when his man gets by him. But when four out of your five guys may be better defensively than offensively, you're you're gonna. If it was me, I would maybe try and you know grind the game down on that end. You still want to get out and run and transition because you have good athletes like Levine and Wiggins and. Rubio is a great passer on the break, but I think it would be it would it would be smart of them to embrace sort of a defensive identity. For the record, I would be totally fine if their intended identity was trying to get Levine dunks on every play. <laughs> I'd be fine with that too. They may have to be on some nights. 
I, I totally agree that it will probably be a defensive identity, but I'm really hoping that they experiment with some quirky offensive lineups. Like, it would be really cool to see them trot out, let's say, Rubio, Kevin Martin, Shabazz Muhammad, Wiggins, and Carl Anthony Towns, and just run super small, just sprint up and down the floor and drain threes and attack the paint. That would be super fun, and I hope they're willing to do stuff like that because that's really what rebuilding is all about, and their commitment to rebuilding will be defined on how much they're willing to experiment, especially with some of these other veterans on the roster who shouldn't figure into the rotation, but the team might feel obligated to put them into the rotation. Everything seems to come back to that, but I'm really hoping that their offense can develop into this versatile, at least situationally potent, uh, machine over the course of the year. But I, I do think if we're looking at marketed improvement and where they might possibly be a good or average team, it's certainly the defensive end at this point. I'm, I'm curious if you guys feel how I do about Wiggins and his impact on the offense, because it seems like their ability to develop also hinges on how much he can become a modern wing player. Uh, he did win Rookie of the Year last year, but that was also the byproduct of playing in a weak class and, you know, just putting up those glamorous per game stats. I mean, his true shooting percentage was barely above 51%. And granted, he did get a lot better when he was attacking the basket during the second half of the season. But I have to wonder how sustainable that is when there are going to be a lot more pieces that need the ball this season. Uh, So do do you think that he has to develop into a potent shooter from the outside and, and fill that catch and shoot role more? Or do we think that, that he can continue playing like he did during his rookie season and kind of try to take on that like Dwayne Wade-like role? I think, I think if he can get to like league average as a three-point shooter, 34 35%, that'll be enough for him. And, and where was he last season? Because I don't feel like he was that right around far 31. off. Yeah, 31. exactly. 31. Okay. So, yeah, it's well within his reach. I know there were stretches of the season when he shot better than that. So I, I don't think that's out of the question. And the reason I say he only needs to get to that point is because he's his physical tools for every other aspect of the game are so off the charts that it really just needs to be sort of a counterbalance for him because he's he's going to be able to get to the rim. At some point, I wouldn't be surprised if he adds a couple of post moves kind of in the mold of Kobe or LeBron. And really the three-point shot for him might just be a change of pace. What's sort of interesting to me is he played off the ball pretty well last year, better than I think most of us expected. And overall, he shot 35.1% on catch-and-shoot threes, which isn't amazing, but it's pretty good. And those accounted for almost 10% of his shots. And then if you look at his performance after the trade deadline when his usage rate went up, those accounted for fewer of his shots, and he was actually a lot worse when playing off the catch. It might just be a matter of exposure and carving out that defined role. I don't know if he's someone you want to shimmy back and forth to where someone like LeBron James can just pick his spots and be like, hey, this is what I'm going to do tonight because this is what my team needs. Hopefully Wiggins can get to that spot. But again, he seemed to play a little bit better at points or with Rubio on the floor and when he was playing off the ball more, when it was sort of just like this less than an ancillary tool, he just looked out of whack and he was really dominating the ball and that was the job they needed him to do. But I think balance will be key with him. I don't want to see him be trending in the direction of, hey, he has to be the ball-dominant scorer first or, hey, we need him to be a catch-and-shoot guy first. It was the steady mix where he seemed to work best. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I do think it's really encouraging that his shot selection seemed to improve so much as the year went on. He fell in love with those mid-range numbers, those long twos during the first half of the season. And I don't know if the numbers back this up, but it really seemed like that that shot fell out of favor for him uh, during the second half of the year. And that, that was a great sign to me. I mean, that's exactly what you want to see from your young players. I don't really have data to back this up. This could be a fun thing to research, but I think that's something that a lot of first and second year players do as just sort of a crutch because it's easy to get the long range too. And I think after a year or two, they realize that's not going to be an efficient shot for me and they'll either take it inside or, or take it outside. So I, I think it, he will grow out of that if he hasn't already. Yeah, it seemed mentioned. like he already has. Yeah. Is this team, once again, going to be the worst team in the West? I'm going to say no. I don't think they will be. It's going to be close, and I think that their ceiling is probably like 12th or 13th in the West. But I do think that Portland is probably going to be worse than them this year. I think there is going to be a fight um, for the bottom. Maybe not intentionally, but I think Portland... Yeah, I don't think this team wants to tank. Yeah, and I don't think a couple of the other teams I'm about to mention do either. I think the Lakers are going to be near the bottom. They could have the worst record. I think the Timberwolves could. I think the Blazers could. And I think the Nuggets could be in that group too. So I think the Kings could be sneaky bad as well. I love they could DMC, be sneaky but, bad, but I also don't. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like sneaky mediocre, like mid thirties. <laughs> they're just really combustible. If if yeah. it's not going well at the beginning of the season, it could be a dumpster fire. Yeah, with Rondo and and Cousins, and I'm sure we'll get into this more with their preview. But I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be the worst uh, in the West just because you have the Blazers. The Lakers are also going to be terrible, and I don't think people realize that as much. I'm a little bit higher on the Nuggets than I guess Bailey. I don't think they'll be in that bottom conversation. They'll certainly be in the bottom five probably. But I guess what's the sweet spot for this team then? It's like I said, they're not going to tank, and I think that's clear just because they've held on to some veterans. What what do we think their ceiling is? Can I slightly alter the question here? No. (laughs) Please? Okay. Is it problematic if they do finish last, given how many young players they have and the need to, for them to take steps forward? I don't think so. No, it's, it, it's almost like if they finish last, it's probably because they're playing those young guys a lot, and that's what you want to see. That would be in my book. I don't think their win total is important at this point. Yeah, I don't think it's important either. I just think that they do have enough talent and need to see enough development that it's almost like 25 wins should happen organically. Yeah, and what? there's always the question, like, you don't want them to develop bad habits, kind of like the Sixers thing has been brewing for the last couple of years. But I, I think it's still too early for them. I don't think it's a problem if they finish last. Well, it doesn't it also help that this team isn't purposely putting bad players on the floor to lose? If, yeah, if you that's lose, a good point. It's, it's not, I don't want to say it's almost on accident, but it's, it's not on purpose. And it's, yeah, it could be largely just inexperience because there's obviously talent. Yeah. yeah. To, to answer to answer your original question though, Dan, I I can't see them rising higher than like twelfth or thirteenth in the conference. And it's again the teams that we mentioned that are gonna finish below them. But there seems to be a pretty big chasm between those bottom feeders and the rest of the conference because we have what nine or ten teams probably nine teams capable of competing for those playoff spots, and then you can throw in the Suns as kind of in between the two. I would it's put the Mavs sort of, in the in between group too. Yeah, fair. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a little bit difficult, though, to project 
if we're trying to look at like a specific win total for the Timberwolves, it's so hard because what if Andrew Wiggins, who we believe is one day going to be this transcendent player where maybe we should be able to mention him in the same breath as whoever the top players in the league will be, you know, Anthony Davis and guys like that. What if he just makes that leap? Like, that happens. We saw Anthony Davis do it as a sophomore. The Pelicans still weren't great, but they were a lot better than expected. And that could add a, a substantial amount of more wins, especially maybe if Carl Anthony Towns plays like your rookie of the year. And I look at this team, and I could easily see them winning only 20 games or maybe that 18-19 area again. But I could also see them beating out 25 just because there is so much talent on this roster. Am I crazy for having Paul George spring to mind when you said that? You know, that I feel like that's the kind of year-to-year leap that he could make. I would I think that you're underselling him by saying that's the year to year leap because I think Paul George's leap was supremely overrated. Phenomenal basketball player, but I think his rise uh, has really been drummed up to a point where it's excessive. But they, they're kind of the same player. I think Wiggins would be a little bit more open to playing some power forward than Mr. <laughs> Paul George. But I would say if the if what you laid out, if Wiggins makes that huge Anthony Davis-like leap, if Towns plays like a rookie of the year, if Rubio gels with them, kind of like we were talking about earlier, I wouldn't I wouldn't think high 20s to maybe even 30 wins is out of the question. A realistic prediction for me, though, is 25. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with 22-23 uh, for them, just because the West is freaking crazy. Agreed. And I, I honestly don't know... They have a lot of injury-prone players on this team. I don't know. They might just mess with the rotation all year, and that could really screw with the continuity. 22 to 23 seems like their sweet spot at this point. Yeah, I think I mentioned 25 earlier as what I thought their ceiling could be, and I think 22, 23 is probably realistic as well. I want to ask another question, though. Who will be their best player next season? I'm going to throw it to Andy first. I think that's a good question for a team like this. I'm going to say Wiggins because I think for plenty of last season he was the best player and now he has the rookie you know, speed bumps out of the way. I think, I think he'll be pretty comfortably their best player. I'm going to agree, but I think there are like two or three other players who have the potential to take that crown away from him if he doesn't progress like we're talking about. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys. And I could see other guys taking the crown away from him. It's really hard to pinpoint a number two. But I think at this point it definitely has to be Wiggins. He was their best player pretty much last year. And with a, with a year of experience under his belt, I don't see a reason why he should regress. Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Today we are going to hand two pounds of uncooked bacon to Mr. Adam Frommel and see if he can burn it to the ground. You know, I wouldn't say that this is quite burnt bacon. It's more like slightly overcooked bacon. And this is kind of mostly directed at a couple of my buddies who they they will know who they are. Um, But last night was Monday Night Football and it was the, the Seahawks playing the Lions. The Seahawks won on what was pretty much the last relevant play of the game when Calvin Johnson almost scored and Cam Chancellor punched the ball out at the last second. And then the, uh, the Seahawks batted the ball out the back of the end zone, which should have been an illegal batting call, and they should have lost the game. It wasn't called. And the response to this, because the Seahawks have gotten a lot of favorable calls in the last couple of years, 
goes something along the lines of the refs love the Seahawks. They hate the Lions. They wanted this outcome. And maybe I'm naive here, but I refuse to believe that's true. I do think that refs are largely independent unless they're named Tim Donahue um, and that they don't actually want to influence the outcome of the game. Uh, so it, it definitely burns my bacon a little bit or, again, slightly overcooks it just to hear you know, all the conspiracy theories come out after the game where it's like, oh, the fix is in again. You know Welcome what burns, to the NFL, man. <laughs> I think what burns my bacon is that the refs do love the Seahawks. <laughs> the fix is in. <laughs> Apparently, Andy is one of the people that I was talking about. I didn't even know it, but he is. I can't. I guess you guys are gonna Seahawks. have to get out off the air. Yeah, this I'm is gonna come to virtual blows. I can see it. I'm with you, Adam. But for the sake of my Broncos fandom, I can't be level-headed and objective when it comes to the Seahawks. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> well, that'll wrap up this episode with burning bacon behind us and all these burning questions about the Timberwolves behind us. If you want to discuss the team further with us on Twitter, you can find Adam at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. And the handle for the whole show, which is all three of us, is at Hardwood Knox. If you listen to us on iTunes, give us a rating there. If you listen to us on Stitcher, make sure to favorite that station. Um, couldn't be a Hardwood Knox podcast without the obligatory shout-out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. And how Memojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77. And Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each when you buy four. Look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24 7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.